Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Business Systems Summit. I'm your host, David Jennings, and in this session, we're going to be chatting with Meryl Johnson. Now, I was actually connected to Meryl through Anthony uh, Chansomuth. He's a, a systems guy, and you know what they say, birds of a feather, they flock together. So when I said that we were running the summit, Anthony said, look, you've got to get Meryl on. She's a, a systems person. She's actually a, a chartered accountant based on the Gold Coast who started a bookkeeping business called Bean Ninjas back in 2015, started with $1,000 and the dream of changing global bookkeeping. And she has. She's gone on to do that. She started on the kitchen table, has become a multinational award-winning business. They've got a distributed team in six different countries around the world as that team continues to grow as well. And she just ticks a lot of boxes when it comes to at least fitting perfectly for the summit. She runs a systems-based business. She's got that financial background, runs a virtual team. She just gets online business. That's, in fact, their primary target audience and who they serve. She understands the challenges that business owners, particularly those with online businesses, have and then has gone on to build a very specific solution to solve their problems. She's built effectively a bookkeeping system for people who run online businesses. So it's definitely with great pleasure that I get to welcome Meryl to the uh, phone call. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the intro. My pleasure. As I said, looking forward to it. I know you had quite a few systems that you could share and, and we were really just having the challenge of identifying which of the many you've got to to start with. And I know we, we've kind of settled on this idea of it's like a, a financial operating system and it covers a few of the key components because I want business owners to start to think about where the gaps are and what they're missing in their financial systems. So maybe just to start, it'd be great if you can just talk to some of the problems and challenges that you see business owners have and how these systems help to solve some of those problems. And then, yeah, let's go through that process step by step. Sure. So I think the first problem that I see is most business owners think about accounting, first of all, because of tax compliance. So they think, okay, I've got to get this accounting sorted out because I need to pay my taxes. And what I would like to see would be business owners thinking, I want to get into the data in my business. I want to make great financial decisions and use that financial information to drive profit or drive cash flow in their business. So one of the first problems I see is around mindset. But then the second is if you're wanting to make great financial decisions or, or dig into your financial data and look at things like, well, what, what percentage of revenue should I be spending on marketing? Or how much money am I making with this job compared to that job? you need to have a really strong financial system in place so that you can rely on the numbers, but also it's not too hard to access those numbers. So it's not requiring a whole lot of manual steps and time because we know if that's the case, then probably it's not going to happen. So I would say that they're the two major problems. And so by implementing a financial system, you know that you can rely on the numbers and you're confident that you can delegate some of it to other team members or that you're using automation to really save time. Yeah, it feels like a very common problem. I, I see a lot of business owners as well. They'll, you know, they've got MYOB or Zero or whatever platform they've got. They'll hop in and there's just an infinite number of 
data and analytics, assuming that they're at least getting the data into the platform and, and setting up their accounts correctly, those sorts of things. And I know that's one of the things that we cover off. But beyond that, then it's a case of they don't have the right questions to come to the data with. So rather than going to the data with a question, looking for a solution, which gives them then an action that they can take, they just get overwhelmed. And maybe it's, you know, every quarter or at worst case, annually, they're looking at their P&L. And at that point, there's not really much they can do. They might just set a goal or a budget for next year. Oh, yes, I want to double revenues. But, but there's no real thought about, well, how do we actually do that? So that's, yeah, that's really key. So let's, yeah, where do you start when you're thinking about setting up a business and making sure that they've got all of their finances and systems and processes in place? How do you like to approach it? So we've developed a framework and some of it's quite simple, but it's just step by step. Once you have these things in place, then you can get onto some of the more advanced topics. So step one is implementing a cloud-based accounting system. And you've mentioned a couple. Zero is our favourite, but there's some other good tools like QuickBooks Online, NYOB, FreshBooks. So have something that connects to your bank account and has bank feeds and can connect to other systems. And that is really going to help you when it comes to automating your bookkeeping. Also have a receipt management process or system. And you might use a tool like Dropbox or Google Drive. If you've got a whole lot of receipts, it actually would make sense to use a tool that can connect to your accounting software. And some examples of that are Receipt Bank and HubDoc. So they can actually have capture receipt information and then send that across to something like zero. So you're reducing data entry. So I consider that the foundation is getting the right tools in place. Number two is having business bank accounts. And I'm sure many of us are familiar with this when you're first starting out. There might be a Dan Murphy's or that there's some definitely some personal transactions coming through those business accounts. So the first stage of that is making sure that you do have a business bank account or a couple of business bank accounts that are separate to your personal and the same with a credit card. So have if you're using a credit card for your business, make sure that you're only putting business transactions on that and that is connected to your accounting software as well. And then just be really disciplined with that. Make sure that your direct debits are coming off the right cards, that your customers are paying you to the right account. And that really, it sounds simple, but it can save a lot of pain and track with your bookkeeping. One thing I found particularly with that as well is um, as the business owner, it's it's getting accountability. I think, you know, whether that starts off with a bookkeeper that you're working with, it's, it's great because initially sometimes people start out and they're trying to manage some of their own books or get things up off the ground. But once you kind of bring another person in and you go, hey, we're, we're running a real business here, then it shines a light on what's going on in the business. And even the step beyond that, when you might get someone, you know, whether it's a, a virtual CFO or, you know, if you've got a, an operations manager or something where they get invited in to look at and understand the financials, then you start to be much more clinical, I, I feel like, in your approach because you're approaching it as this is a system that we're all getting on board with. And as much as I uh, want those team members to follow the system and the process, as the business owner, you can't be above any rules. You're all playing by the same rules. So I think, yeah, this is like a great foundation to at least start off with. I know and we'll go into more detail. That was one of the real key things as well. Once you kind of, a lot of people have those basics in place in our audience, like they kind of crossed the T's and dotted the I's with that. And they're, they're now sort of coming up to the, the next challenges, which I think your system aims to address. 
Yes, and so the next phase is having another look at your chart of accounts. So the chart of accounts as a in total is the sum of all of the accounts. So you might have bank fees, you might have different income accounts, and so they make up the chart of accounts. And each piece of accounting software has a default chart of accounts, and it's quite common just to rely on the, the default chart of accounts rather than customising that to your business and to what makes sense to you. And so once you have account codes that make sense to you, then it becomes really important to be consistent with coding. So if you have, for example, Dropbox, each month you would want that going to software subscriptions, not one month having that in marketing costs, one month having it in software subscriptions, because if you don't have consistency, then if you're trying to look at trends in your profit and loss, you might see what you think is the trend, but actually it's just a coding error. So, that, yeah, there's two components to that. One is getting the chart of accounts right and so that it makes sense to you, but also to your team members. If you've got other people involved, everyone needs to, to know what suppliers go where. And then the second part is being disciplined with that and very consistent with how you allocate transactions. A big common one that I see with that as well is not getting sort of clear visibility between fixed costs and also sort of cost of goods for the delivery of the product or service. And I, I found that's really key for understanding growth and, and where money's getting sucked out of the business and, you know, what sort of capacity that you have got left in the business and how it would look as it starts to grow. I'd be interested if you've got some insights around that. So that's really important to, to understand what is cost of sales or cost of goods sold for your business. So what makes up, what's involved in you delivering that service? If we look at a service business, for example, an agency, often there's some confusion around labour cost. And so you might have an admin team member who's a, an, an operating cost or a, an overhead, but then you've got someone else and their job is just to deliver services to clients. And that's actually a direct cost of the business and really important to understand your gross margins because you might have some targets in place around that. And so it's important that you can actually identify well, what, what does sit above the line and, and what is part of that, that cost of sales figure. And that can take some tweaking to actually look and dig into that in, into your business about what should be sitting in cost of sales and what is an overhead cost. But yeah, that's a great point. One other thing as well I noticed, and you kind of touched on this idea of it's almost like getting a, a baseline in place for you to make any sort of improvements. You need to make sure that the dashboard that you're looking at, the metrics that you're looking at are valid because you're following the same process and method for the way that those numbers are getting calculated and put together, whether it's allocating the appropriate expense into the appropriate account. I think from a, a consistency point of view, that's that's the key. I think of that the same with when we start to think about systems and processes, even outside of the financial sort of department. When it comes to, let's say, marketing, if you've got a, a range of different team members doing things in different ways, then it becomes very difficult to try and identify where the issue is, make a change because everybody's doing it their own way. The, the real key step one in any systems improvement is get that baseline, get a method for the way that you're doing things, and then you can start to improve from there because you can actually go, well, when I make this change, I can now see what the result is. So I think, yeah, getting this foundation solid is key. Yeah, you're right. And I actually had an example of just what you're talking about in my business recently where we're tracking convert so sales conversion rates. But two different salespeople had different ways of is the conversion when someone signs a contract or is it when they pay? And that 
if you're doing it differently, you're going to get different results. So agreeing on what that baseline is and then getting everyone on board with that using the same calculation is important. Yeah. And it's funny, I think finance, it's really one of the first areas that someone should be thinking about systemizing because it's it's a centerpiece for the business. Like if you don't have any money, if you aren't meeting your obligations, you don't get your cash flow right. You can't continue to play the game. As soon as that dries up, the game stops. So it's it needs to be one of those areas that they address first. So let's say now at this point, someone gets all of these baselines in place. They're starting to measure. They've got the appropriate counts set up. What happens next? Then it's about putting in place a timetable. So a bookkeeping timetable and an end of month timetable. And I've got a template that I will share that just to give you some ideas around what this could look like for your business. And so this helps to get everyone on the same page about who's doing what and when it needs to happen and how frequently it happens. So this is split out into tasks that happen on a daily basis, that happen weekly, fortnightly, and then happen at the end of the month. And you could adjust these. This might be different for your business. But the concept is break down the financial processes into different steps, such as reconciling transactions or uploading receipts, payroll, or checking your accounts receivable and work out when that's going to happen, who's involved in that, and then get it in your calendar. So make sure you want to make sure that these things are happening and that you've set some some good habits and some timeframes around this. And you'll st- you'll start to notice if your sales team or, or your admin person is responsible every week for running an aged receivables report with everyone that owes you money, and that happens on the same day every week, then you'll find that people will start to get into good habits and they just know that that's, that's the first thing that they do on a Tuesday morning. And that starts to then the system comes together and you're starting to get accurate reports on a regular basis. And if you have a look down here in this example, someone's getting their end of month reports on the seventh business day. But if you don't have a good good process around the timing of these things, you might be getting your month end reports on business day 40 or three months after the end of the month when they're really not as relevant as seven days after the month. Yeah, I think, and I can see now why Anthony said we should chat. This is exactly the way that we approach things and look at things the way that we structure it up. We then uh, pair this with some sort of project management tool to then be able to assign who is doing this task and take that due date that you're talking about and set it up as a a reoccurring task. And then we would obviously link uh, within that task then to the relevant system, you know, wherever that's saved, we use System Hub or if you've got it in Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever the case may be, you, you then link to the system that explains how it's done. And then it makes it very easy to know when things are getting done, who's getting it done, to what standard you're expecting it to get done, and also gives you great visibility on if someone goes away to make sure it happens whether a team member's there or not we can very easily substitute someone else in and they can step in we we had that just recently with our ceo she stepped in for our bookkeeper a bookkeeper actually was just coming up to her long service leave so she took some time off melissa didn't always do the wages but it was very easy to plug melissa in to do the wages for the few weeks that sally was away just because of having this structure in place. What you've got on the screen here, which is, is you know, some, some best practice systems almost that would apply to every single business. Do you find beyond this, is there much variation on a per business basis or do you find, you know, this works generally 
pretty well in all cases with at least as a, a minimum starting point? So it, I think this would apply to most businesses. There can be variation around things like payroll. So some businesses might do that weekly and some might do that fortnightly or monthly. So the timing of that can vary. And then the end of month, I'd be encouraging you to do that as fast as possible. But sometimes there are factors that make that more difficult. With reconciling daily, a tiny business might, it costs more to do is do something daily as opposed to doing it weekly or monthly. So it might not be cost effective to do reconciliations daily from the very beginning. And you could, maybe you could do that every second day or, or every third day. But it's important to do reconciliations frequently so that you've got an idea of who owes you money. Because if that's not up to date, you might be chasing a customer to pay you and, and they have paid you. It's just that your bookkeeping is not up to date. So I'd say as a general rule, this is generally could be plugged into most small businesses with a little bit of variation. And it feels like, I mean, this is that baseline to meet the obligations of the business to be running and get team members paid and arrange any sort of tax obligations that you might have with, you know, your your tax office in, in your relevant country. Once you kind of get this in place, well, yeah, where do you see that next step? Or are there any particular extra things that you think about when preparing this? It starts off, I think the spreadsheet's an excellent place to start and then you yeah. Might look at some calendars and whatever your project management platform is and, and some how-to documents. Is there anything else that you think of for this particular stage? So you're right. This is more to start the conversation and just to map it out quickly around what's going to fit for your business. But we do something similar in our business that you described where there's a, a project management system and that has the checklist of how to do this. And then if someone's learning it for the first time, that links off to our procedures tool with the videos of how you would actually step through that and that's really important to 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 know who are the backups for all of these jobs and where do they go to find that information and it should be really easy because there's just links to that in the project management system if you have all of this up and running then you've really built a, a strong financial system and to get more advanced then it becomes more about what you do with the reporting and so the We'll be covering three key reports that you would look at, but that's just the beginning. As you have more time and resources to devote to this, there's a lot more detailed reporting that you could be doing or you could be getting splitting your business into departments and running reports around at a department level or at a customer level. But again, you wouldn't want to get into that until you have this system working well. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, let's dive into yeah some of the, I suppose, the minimum reports someone can look at and we might have some questions around there and then dive into maybe some of the more complex stuff at least to start point people in the right direction. Sure so I've got examples of three different reports so I'm just going to turn this slideshow on and I'll talk through generally I recommend having a look at at a minimum the balance sheet and profit and loss and I'll explain how I review these reports. So I start by looking at the balance sheet. This is where most of the accounting errors are, more, more often than not in the balance sheet rather than the profit and loss. And so this report is telling us at this point in time, what do you own? So what assets do you have, like your business bank account and what do your customers owe you? And then what do you owe to other people? And that might be bank loans, it might be your creditors, and then your assets minus your liabilities equal equity. And depending on your business structure, There'll be different names for that area, but it might be things like share capital or retained earnings. So if I've got a balance sheet in front of me, 
the first time I review a set of reports, I'm looking at the numbers critically and I'm looking for what might not be right. So I'm not using this report to make any decisions yet. I'm looking at this and thinking, hang on, those business bank accounts are negative. That doesn't look right because I know we have money in those accounts. Let me go and check. Maybe the reconciliations aren't complete. Maybe something we've missed some, the bank feed's broken. There's multiple reasons for that. So I'll note that down as something to be checked. And then I'll continue my review and think about, okay, accounts receivable. Again, that doesn't look right. I know we've just sent out a major invoice to a customer. I was expecting that to be higher than last month because we haven't received that many payments from customers and we sent out a major invoice. And so that's the kind of approach that I have for each of these accounts. I think about what am I expecting that balance to be based on what I know has happened in the business and is that in line with what I was expecting? And if not, then I'll note that to as something to investigate further. Then once all of those updates, either we've got reasons for why it looks different to what was expected or we've made the updates to fix if, if it was an error, then I come back and look at this again and the second time is to then use the information to make decisions and to look at, oh, my accounts receivable ratio isn't in line with what I was hoping. And so first one is looking at the numbers critically and then the second is to make decisions. With that report and i mean we can go through maybe you know we've got these three reports we're going to look at with the balance sheet in particular are there any things when you go through that you know okay all of the numbers critically look like they're correct then you mentioned about the ratio as one of the things are there any other things that you keep an eye on or you know a set of questions that you would ask when you look at a balance sheet obviously that will change based on the, the business but maybe there's a, a and a basic set of questions that someone might ask? Sure. So with a balance sheet, I'm looking at what's different. So I'll be looking at, say, last month and this month or last financial year and then the current month. And I'm looking at what's moved because often you might not have as much. If you already own an asset, it would be there. So you've got computer equipment of $5,000 and nothing's changed. Then that's just going to be consistent rolling along until the end of financial year. You might look at some depreciation but you're not expecting as much variation in the balance sheet. So I'm looking, one, for variation. It has something moved. And then the key accounts I'm looking at are cash, but I'd be looking at that more often than the end of month anyway. I prefer to look at cash uh, weekly, and that's something we talk about with the cash flow forecast. And the same with accounts receivable. Again, I prefer to look at that weekly and, and have a process around that weekly, but they're key numbers. If you are a product-based business, then inventory is a key number. And so it's important to look at that number. But a lot of the balance sheet accounts, they don't mean that much in isolation. They need to be compared to something else. And so as an example, your inventory balance might have increased, but that could mean multiple things. It could mean that you're preparing for or you're gearing up for more sales. It could mean that your sales cycle is slowing down and you're holding too much stock. It could mean that you've got some obsolete stock. So uh, these numbers can mean multiple things, but I suppose, as you pointed out, it's just a starting point to at least look at, well, did that number increase or decrease in line with what I was expecting? Okay, now it's time to go and figure out why and whether that's actually an issue or not and whether I need to take any action around that. One area that has worked quite well with us uh, is once our bookkeeper now, and we're getting some of these processes in place where we'll look at, 
cash flow, like you said, or, or accounts receivable on a weekly basis. There's a particular high-level spreadsheet that we've got a our bookkeeper. She helps to populate taking from a few of these different reports, and we're spotting these different trends as they're starting to happen. The first analysis, because we'll have a weekly call where we discuss through some of these numbers, she'll basically make notes on things that she's noticed, like, hey, this has moved, that's moved. It's usually myself and my CEO on the call, the three of us. And what she's looking for us is to be able to explain that movement. So she's just reading the numbers. She's not necessarily understanding why. It's almost like we have to help her to understand so she can then go, yes, that makes sense. And then if we don't have an appropriate reason for why something has happened, then that's usually an alarm for us. Hey, we're noticing our net position here is is dropping significantly, but you know there aren't any changes or we're seeing this big change here. What's causing this? What is it something that we can do more of? Is it something that needs attention? Now that I think about it, it usually is things more that need attention. And maybe that's a reflection of our business as opposed to, oh, this is working really good. Let's do more of that. It's more, oh, okay, well, that's changed. Well, what's caused that? Oh, we don't have an appropriate solution. Well, let's break up, find out what numbers make up that particular line item. Let's drill in a bit deeper and see, is that, you know, obvious to us? You know, we might hop into zero and we'll click on one of these accounts and then see all of the transactions that make up that particular number. And then again, if it's still not clear, then that usually is what will force an action or or suggest to us, okay, we need to chat with the person who's responsible for this particular number or the person in that department who would be contributing to go, is there something that we can do here? And I'm finding it's, it's just meaning we're so much more proactive. We're able to see things well in advance of them happening, as opposed to, you know, you're quarterly bass, getting those numbers printed out and then trying to make decisions at that point in time. But you know, three months in business is, is a huge amount of time and you need to be making micro adjustments much earlier than that. Yeah, you're right. And if we look at, at that from some of the profit and loss accounts, if you have something like a budget in place, then that's very easy to identify something's not in line with expectations because you can run, instead of this report saying, August, July, and just having previous months comparatives, you could have this say August, and then you could have the next column be the August budget, and then a dollar variance and a percentage variance. And that's a really good way to flag whether something needs more investigation. There's probably less less happens on the balance sheet. So there's probably less that you can drill into, but it's still often business owners completely ignore it. And so if there's a lesson from the conversation around reports here, it is to look at the balance sheet first, because if there's errors in that, they're probably flowing through to your profit and loss and and pick a couple of the key items that are big for your business and look at those. And then you probably spend more time in the profit and loss drilling down. And if you have a budget, then that's great. That will make this process really easy. If you don't, it's still fine to look at comparatives from previous months and then think about what you know is happening in the business. As you were talking, I thought of a couple more examples of things that might jump out at you or require investigation. So if you've got your team have annual leave and you see that that annual leave balance is just growing and growing and growing, something like that becomes a business risk. And so then you might have the conversation with your managers around, well, does someone in your team need to take leave? So that's an example of the way that you can use numbers to then take an action or have a conversation in your business. 
So with the, the P&L in particular, that's a, a good example. Are there other areas on a part of it as you go through the process of just refining and making sure that things are getting allocated to the right accounts, then, you know, especially starting to split out your cost of goods sold versus those fixed prices, you know, and then you might introduce in some of the budget and the budget variance type things. How do you look at it, I suppose, whether it's for, for you personally or for some clients' businesses are there any questions that you like to ask when looking at a profit and loss? So I think one of the most important numbers is around gross margin because that's really a driver if the business is profitable. And so I always would be looking at that and looking at it as a percentage as well. And so different industries will have different margins, but many service businesses are aiming for something like one third, labour costs one third. This is very rough. But, but just to give you an idea, it might be one-third labour costs, one-third overheads, one-third profit. And so if you have some kind of rough metric like that that you know you're aiming for, then you can look at whether your margins are in line with that. And then if they're not, then it might be time to ask some hard questions around are you priced appropriately or are you having overruns or doing out-of-scope work or have you got the right mix of team members? And so that's a good trigger to ask those kind of questions. I also like to group, so with overhead expenses, rather than having one big list of overhead expenses, I like to group them into categories. And this is just a simple example where we've just got two categories, one's marketing and one's admin. But you can pick whatever categories are relevant for your business, but then you can start to do the same kind of thing and, and look at, okay, well, as a percentage of revenue, we're spending 15% on marketing or we're spending 5%. And do we actually need to increase that or are we spending too much? Or if you're looking at overheads, well, are our overheads too high for, for what we're bringing in at the moment? And do we need to, to look at that? So, and you talked about fixed and variable costs, and I like to think about that as well. Some of your costs are fixed and what that means, that might be rent. So you might have a co-working space or you might have premises and that cost is locked in for the year regardless of how many clients you serve. But some other costs, for example, Facebook ads, that might be related to how many ads that you're, you're doing or you're doing on behalf of your clients. So there are a couple of things. So if I recap on that, looking at your gross margin, whether you're a product or a service business, looking at some ratios like marketing spend as a percentage of revenue. In my business, we also track job profitability. So we track at a customer level but then we might do multiple jobs for the same customer. So I also want to track at a job level because our margins are different for different kinds of work. And so we every we do this every month. Look, we have a, a threshold of the margin that we're aiming for and then anyone that we didn't achieve that margin is highlighted in red and then we go and investigate why. And there might be a good reason or it might not be a good reason. And so we do that across a portfolio of, of more than 100 clients every month. And it's time-consuming, but it's a key number in our business. Is there anywhere that someone can go to get even some ballpark numbers for potentially their industry to say, oh, this is on average what some of the top performing companies are doing for gross profit or those sorts of numbers? So I wish I had an answer to that. And we're, so we're actually building out our virtual CFO offering with Bean Engines and benchmarks is a critical part of that. So I hopefully will have an answer for you shortly on that, but I don't at the moment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so what's the third report that you love? The next one's a cash flow forecast. And so th these two reports have come out of zero and they're historical reports. So they're looking backwards at what has happened 
whereas a cash flow forecast is looking forwards at what you're expecting to happen. So I'm going to stop sharing for a moment and then I'm going to jump into an example of a cash flow forecast. This is a, a really simple example. Often you would use something more complex than this, but this is just to get the point across of how a cash flow forecast works. And so a profit and loss isn't necessarily a profit and loss statement, which was what we were looking at before. It isn't necessarily a reflection of money in your bank account. And the reason for that is timing differences. So you might send an invoice to someone in August, but they might not pay you until September. So even though your profit and loss shows that you've made a sale, that money's not in your bank account. And so the idea with this cash flow forecast is that you're projecting out into the future when you're expecting money to come into your bank account, so cash inflows, and then when you're expecting cash to leave, cash outflows. And the reason for that is you can then predict what your bank balance is going to be. And based on that, it helps to make decisions, like whether you can afford to hire someone because your margins might make it look like you can afford to pay someone but you actually need to have the money in your bank account in order to pay their wages and so mapping this out many months in advance will help you get comfort that, that you can actually pay that person because you can predict what money is coming in and, and what is coming out it, it can be challenging to get this right because it's not set in stone you might think a customer is going to pay you and then they don't pay you on that date so as you do this, over time, you'll get more and more accurate with assumptions and you might realise, okay, 75% of our customers pay on time, so we'll factor that into the cash flow forecast. We're not going to expect 100% of customers to pay on time. And something that I do with my team, so we do this on a weekly basis and we assess how accurate our forecast is, so what, what we're expecting the cash balance to be and then what is it actually so that we can start gradually improve and refine the way that we're forecasting. I think one of the good things about this as well, it's all about um, being quite proactive because if you're doing it, what we actually don't go down to the weekly, but we do do it on a monthly basis. And at the start of the month, um, our, our bookkeeper, she'll a financial controller, she gives us a bit of a summary of how the month is about to look. And then that gives us an idea of, hey, we really got to get going because, you know, potentially our recurring billing or whatever is, is down for this particular month and we, we know what our expenses need to be. So then it gives us an idea of, okay, well, this is what we need to be doing in new sales. And then that's the number that then feeds directly through then to the marketing department or sales team or both to go, okay, well, what actions do we now need to take to reach this number? And yeah, I think it's a matter of just doing it consistently and you keep making these micro changes to the way that your system and process is working to keep trying to get closer and closer to the mark. And I think another thing that popped out with this, and I, I love the the structure and I, I love seeing it sort of mash very closely with the, the way that we've got things set up as well for us. And I found once you start doing this, it, it just starts to give you more and more confidence in the business. And if it's an area that you're not necessarily particularly strong with, there's, there's that, that thing where people talk about focusing on your strengths. And they say, you know, if you're particular, good at a particular thing, you know, just double down and do that really, really well and let everything else sort of work itself out. There's a lot to that that is true. What it does do, though, without complete understanding is sometimes people then leave parts of their business not very well attended to because it's not necessarily a strength. Financial side of things for a lot of business owners falls into that category and then they overlook it. Yet, 
it's a case of you want to be focusing on what your unique ability is, but then you need to business. You're only as strong as I suppose your, your weakest link in business in all of those different departments. So you need to make sure all of the departments are firing. And if it's not you that is going to to really have great control over that area, you've you've got to get someone. It's not enough to just go, hey, I can just out market someone, or you know, I can out deliver the product or service in business. You need to be strong in sales, marketing, HR, operations, finance, management. And you think about this operating system and then you you plug team members in to take responsibility for that particular area. And then that then frees you up as the business owner to then start to work on your, your unique ability. What I love here, this is like a super rock solid place to start for every business owner. This really is what I would consider minimum. You need to be having this in place. And if you don't, then that's the the alarm to go, oh, okay, well, we're weak in this particular area or we don't have this system or process in place. And then to then obviously go seek out that sort of solution or process to solve those problems. Went on a little bit of a rant there, but (laughs) I don't know if you yeah had any. I agree. So I really agree. I think there's merit in doubling down on what you're strong at, but I think you need baseline knowledge about all of those departments so that you can get the best out of your team. And so if you're a business owner that's not strong in finances, it is fine to hire other people to help you, whether that's a bookkeeper or a tax accountant or a virtual CFO, but ultimately it's still your responsibility to be across all of this and to make sure that your system and your team in the finance department are working well and that you understand your numbers. So I think it takes an investment of time if this isn't your background or your skill set to understand the numbers for your business and to feel comfortable in reading financial statements. And that's something you should be talking about if you're not comfortable with with getting help from your accountant or your bookkeeper and asking questions. And again, it might take some practice, but I think it's really important that one, that you take ownership of your financial system, even if you've got team members that are involved and that you understand the numbers that drive your business. It's all right for me to put you on the spot. Is it okay if underneath this session we can link to a couple of these spreadsheets that you've just shown? I think, you know, at minimum that gives someone a chance to duplicate it and then try and customise it and and make it their own. Absolutely. So these are free resources. Both of these templates are free resources that we have available. So I'll I'll drop in the link and, and share that with you. As far as this system is concerned, are there any other things, yeah, that you you want to cover off? I know we've we've talked about getting your cadence right of of the financial activities, uh, and then we've also talked about particularly the, the minimum of the three reports that you want to be starting off on. And then obviously part of picking your cadence is also going to be linked to these reports because you're going to say, right, I want to see my balance sheet monthly. I need to be seeing my P&L weekly, whatever the case may be. Yeah. When you think about from beyond here or any other pieces the business owner should be thinking about? I think this is phase one. And so I'd concentrate on implementing the, the first three things that we talked about around software, receipt management, banking, and then also the chart of accounts. And then spend more time on the bookkeeping timetable and reports. And once you have that framework, that's when you can spend more time on having a standard operating procedure around different elements. So then you might look at, okay, payroll. We need to have a step-by-step of how we do this. Or you might do that with accounts payable or accounts receivable. So you can dive into more detail. Once you've got the framework that we've discussed today, there's definitely more things that you can add 
in the way that you document it and then how you refine and automate those steps. And then you can spend a lot more time on reporting. So I think we, we've got we've got to a good place with today, but don't feel like that's the end of financial systems. There's definitely other areas that you can add in or improve once you get this right. I know we're going to point people to a resource. I want to have it underneath because one of the things that we talked about before we started recording was the course that you have as well. Like effectively, we've gone through the overview of that course, but if people want to find out more about your work, particularly in the financial systems side of things, or even what you do for the done for you type service, can you tell us a little bit about that and where's the best place for them to go? Sure. So we have a financial literacy course and that's split into two areas. One is financial systems, which is the the things we've talked about today. So there's a lot of videos and templates around how to implement it and also an opportunity to ask questions on the group calls. And then there's another three weeks on financial reporting. And that's where we go into the more advanced topics around things like ratios and and drilling into these reports and and customising the ratios and the metrics for your business. And you can get more information about that at bigninjas.com course. We also have a, a done for you bookkeeping service and there's information on our website just on the, the bigninjas.com. And we have three different bookkeeping packages which are for different stages of online or digital businesses. And that's where we, we do all of the bookkeeping and then provide reports on a regular basis for then you as the business owner to interpret those reports and make good business decisions. Perfect. And uh, a final suggestion as well, because it's all about building up your financial literacy, understanding the vocab, getting it front and centre. I know Meryl's got a great podcast. So again, we'll link to that as well. Definitely worth checking out just to hear these types of conversations on an ongoing basis. And then you feed that back to your team. Hey, I had this idea, you know, one idea I just got from the session that we just had Um, When I think about our fixed costs, we haven't been breaking it up into those different subcategories and allocating some things in there, which I think would be a great addition. So it's it's all about spotting those little finer nuances and then feeding it through and then making sure that you get an an action from it. So I'll link to that. Any final words? I'll I'll obviously put everything under there, but I I want to say a big thank you for, for sharing your process. It's very clear that it would apply to any business and be very helpful. So I don't know if there are any final words or we can just point people to uh, find out more about being ninjas. Yeah, no final words. I think, yeah, it's been fun. I love talking about systems and I love talking about finances. So it's been great. It's the perfect combination. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you, Meryl. And we'll talk soon. You've just been listening to the System Hub podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now.